0: Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you so much for your word, um, your life giving word that tells us um, of who you are and of your great unfolding plan through history um, and of all that you've done in and through your Son, our Lord Jesus. Uh, we pray that today, as we hear um, your word read and preached, uh, please give us uh, ears to hear. Please soften our hearts so that we absorb the truth, not just with our heads and our brains, um, but we pray that. Uh, your word would penetrate to the deepest part of our being, uh, that you would transform us from the inside out for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Meredith. The reading this morning is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces, of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things.
1: Can I say how good it is to be able to join you live, face-to-face, and actually be able to sing together? I mean, it's just a wonderful... uh, chance to connect together as God's people. And the COVID time's been strange. I was just noticing Duncan leaving the room to go off to his magic couch when the children's song was on. And uh, let me say, it's very unusual to listen to yourself giving announcements, but even more unusual to be led by yourself in prayer. Uh, it's, it's, it has been a strange time. We're going to spend our time looking at that uh, those opening verses in 1 Peter chapter 1, and if you've got a Bible, that's great. If not, I'll try and signal where we're going. I realise it's a, it's a funny time that we're in. But let me just pray for us as we uh, focus our attention on the living and active word of God. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who does speak to us. You don't leave us in the dark. And we pray that as we uh, read your word, we'll be refreshed by an understanding of your grace profoundly at work in our hearts and minds, so that we might live for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, say I met you today for the first time. I just spoke with Sam at the start of the service. Say I met you for the first time. uh, What would you say about yourself to introduce yourself to me? Uh, If it was me, I'd probably say things like, I've been married to Sue for over 40 wonderful years. We have uh, three children. We now have... Six grandchildren with uh, another one on the way. Our three children are married to three in-laws that uh, they're well-suited to. They're all followers of Jesus and so and I like them as well. We think that's a bonus, you know. I I'd, I'd tell you things about that. Uh, I'm a pastor. I, when I was about, you know, up until about the age of 25, I had flaming red hair and when I was at university, I had a beard out here and shoulder length hair. Can you believe that? Yeah, I did. It's true. And uh, uh, that was the reality. I barracked for the AFL team that finished bottom of the ladder this year. I'd probably tell you things like that. Say I tweaked a question and I said to you, tell me the thing that's had the most profound effect on your life. That's a different question, isn't it? It's a deeper question about the things that have have actually fed your sense of who you are. I remember I took my mother on a holiday to Sydney where she'd spent a lot of her life, uh, when she was about 80 years of age. We were going down one of the main streets of the city, a place she was familiar with, and I was driving, she was in the passenger seat, and she burst into tears. And I said, I said, Mum, what's what's wrong? You know, and, and... she just burst into tears, and then she told me a secret. Remember, she's 80 years old. Eight, a secret she had never shared with her children or her grandchildren or any of her friends. And the secret was that she was adopted. And when, at the time when she was growing up, that was an issue that she felt embarrassed about, even shamed about. That was the era that she grew up in. But it was one of those aha moments for me because I could see, looking back, on the way in which that had profoundly affected her sense of security, her her confidence, her sense of identity as a person. Now, let me say, she knew the love of her adopted mother. There was no question about that. But she did live with questions about why her birth mother and father had not wanted her. When we turn to this letter of 1 Peter, can I say it's written to Christians, to believers, to profoundly shape their sense of identity. It's a letter written about 64 AD uh, to Christians that were on the the eastern edge of the Roman Empire. You pick it up in verse 1, to believers in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Now, when it mentions Asia there, it's not the Asia we think of, but an area on the sort of northern edge of the Mediterranean Sea. And Peter is writing to a culture where Christians um, were not just being treated with indifference, but they were seen to be subversives, uh, people who are undermining the Roman Empire and the culture of the time, their values. Can I say, this this letter, and particularly these verses we're looking at this morning, they're just as relevant for 21st century believers as 1st century believers. Because we know what it's like to belong to a minority group in our culture. We know what it's like to be treated with indifference. Uh, We know what it's like to be dismissed for no other reason except for the fact that we're Christians. We are believers. The big idea in the letter actually doesn't come in chapter 1. It's summarised really well for us in chapter 5, verse 12. Let me read it to you, and then we'll come back to chapter 1. Uh, chapter, uh, Peter, chapter 5, verse 12. I've written to you briefly, encouraging and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. This letter just reminds us of God's wonderful grace towards us and today we'll just explore that grace so that we might stand in it, be confident in it. Well, the people Peter is writing to, they're described in the first or the opening verses as exiles scattered. Um, Literally, it's exiles of the dispersion. Now, Peter's using Old Testament categories here. He's talking about the people of God who are living away from Jerusalem and the promised land. Uh, If you think Abraham or the Exodus or when God's people were exiled to Babylon, you've got the picture. And the idea is of being an expat uh, located somewhere else. Uh, When I was preaching on this passage, I wrote to Maggie Cruz, uh, who's one of our overseas mission workers working in Cambodia. But many of you will know that Maggie has worked for decades in Africa, before going to Cambodia sometime in the last twelve months. And I asked her how she'd found the change, and she said the cultures are just so different. You know, the, in Africa there's a real sort of belly laugh, you know, that they just get into slapstick humour. In Cambodia, much more subtle. You know, and uh, in Africa there's, there's sort of a quality of people in a way in Cambodia much more hierarchical the languages are different everything she says is so different this is what she her comment she said I, I'm still only six months in and I'm feeling like a stranger in a strange land same idea we capture in the opening verses of 1 Peter chapter 1 and yet here's the interesting thing the people who got this letter were most likely living in the towns that they were born in. See, they weren't strangers in the sense of having been displaced to other locations. Um, so in what sense were they exiles scattered? Well, this this letter, it's written not to, to Jews who were living away from Jerusalem, but to Christians who were living away from heaven, right? Their ultimate home, their ultimate destination, their ultimate, as as Duncan was saying, their ultimate inheritance. That's the sort of picture. And if you're a believer, then I'm talking in a language you understand. You understand the tension of living in this world, surrounded and shaped and profoundly grounded by God's word, but with your hope set in heaven. And that means in this world you march to the beat of a very different drum. Then in verse 2, Peter goes on and he starts describing the people of God. Those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Back in verse 1, we've already been seen that God's people are referred to as God's elect. Now, this idea of being chosen or elect has caused enormous controversy among believers and unbelievers over the years. Um, Is it God who chooses us from before the foundation of the world to be in his family? And if that's the case, how fair is that? I mean, is it fair that we don't get any say in that? I mean, don't we choose to become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and become Christians. Uh, why tell anyone about Jesus if God determines this before the foundation of the world? Like, Let's just cruise it, you know, because it makes no difference at all. And you will, if you've been a believer for a time, you'll know that it's shrouded with those sort of debates. Can I say, when Peter writes this, he is not writing it to generate debate. It is meant to fill us with thankfulness and awe and celebration not controversy. Uh, the biography of Stephen Jobs the creator of Apple in it he talks about when he was seven years old uh, playing with a girl in his neighbourhood who lived across the road who was also seven and he says in that, this story that he told this seven year old girl that he was adopted and this neighbourhood person he was playing with she said So does that mean your real parents didn't want you? Your real parents didn't want you. Job's, Jobs writes this. He says, it was as if lightning bolts went off in my head. I remember running home crying. And this is what he says. And my parents said to me, no, Steve, you have to understand it, he writes they were serious, they looked me straight in the eye and they said this we specifically picked you out both my parents said it and they repeated it slowly slowly for me and they put the emphasis on every word in that sentence we specifically picked you out Out. Job says this I have always felt special. My parents made me feel special. Now, today, are you a believer? Well, if you are, it's because God specifically chose you to be part of His family. That's the reality. The goal, it's not so much that you feel special, although you should, no question about that. But as Alison was reminding us of. It's so, verse 3, we might live for the praise of his glory. That's the point. So what does it mean to be brought into this family of God? What I'm going to do... uh, is to slow down a bit on verses 3 and 4, just so that we can reflect on the profound truths here. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I remember seeing a cartoon some years ago, and the cartoon had a picture of a, uh, a womb with two twins in this womb. And there was a A thought bubble to one side or a speech bubble with one twin saying to the other twin, Don't be stupid. Who ever heard of life after birth? You know, it was that sort of idea. And it's the same sort of concept here. Birth actually does radically change the direction of your life. Uh, At one moment, you're in a warm, sheltered environment, and then you're shoved out into a bright, cold, noisy world. Someone shoves a tube down your throat to suck all the gunk out and make you, force you to cry, you know, and breathe. I mean, it's a it's a transformative sort of thing. But when Peter talks about new birth here, what's he talking about? Well, it's to start a new life that's dominated by a relationship with God. It's to be given, as he says, a living hope. And what he's doing is contrasting two worldviews at this point. Uh, the first is to be to be born to live, to make the most of your 70 to 80 years, and then to die. One way of thinking about it. Or to have new life, new hope, is to be full of hope and confidence about the future beyond your 70 or 80 years. That's the hope that the Gospel speaks of. But we do need to understand the way the Bible talks about hope. Because the way we tend to use it in 21st century Australia... Is of a speculative sort of dreamy sort of thing. You know, I'm hoping that the Crows will win the Premiership next year. All right? That's what's known as a faint hope. All right? It's just so unlikely to happen. Right? But when Peter uses the word hope here in verse three, he's de- he's describing a definite thing. Something that's currently unseen, but it will happen. See, what grounds this hope? Why is it so secure? Well, verse 3. It talks about new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. See, the resurrection changes everything. Remember, that the Peter who's writing this letter is the same Peter who turned his back on the Lord Jesus when he was on the cross. who when he was dead, just despaired. And had no confidence or hope for the future. But his life was totally transformed. It turned around. Because he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. A real time, real place, historical event. And that changed everything. He then dedicated his whole life to trying to persuade people to put their trust in this Jesus. And ultimately... Uh, If the tradition is right, he also was crucified like his master. Upside down, as a choice to be different from the one he followed. How can you risk your life like Peter did? How can you do that? Well, only if you've been born again to a living hope because of your confidence in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You hear people say it, don't you? You only live once. You only live once. And if it's true, of course you've got to squeeze the most you can out of these 70 or 80 years because that's all you've got. But if you can be born again, it changes absolutely everything. Your ambitions, your goals, your whole direction in life. I want you to imagine the, um, we move through this pandemic, everything changes, the borders open up again, not just locally but internationally, and you start to think about what you might do in terms of travel. And, uh, you know, Duncan and Miriam, you know, they, because of the senior pastor's wages being increased again, they think, oh, we'll plan to a big overseas holiday, right? <laughs> and uh, so they uh, decide they're going to spend... Three months overseas, leave the grandchildren with Barry and Alison to look after for that time. They're rejoicing and smiling, you know, it's terrific. And they're planning this holiday, you know, got so much money, we'll do a business class, you know, and uh, plan this three-month holiday, right? When they come back, they want everyone to be so jealous of what they've done, they they decide to take the 1,000 shots, photos that they've taken of this holiday, and invite all of you around... To look at these thousand shots, so you can celebrate and rejoice with them at this overseas holiday. Eh? Now I guarantee, I guarantee, thousand shots, nine hundred and ninety of them, won't be taken from the back seat of the taxi on the way to the airport. Eh? That'd be just crazy, wouldn't it, if you're planning that sort of trip. Can I say it's exactly the same for those of us who have new birth into a living home? You see, 80 years, it's just a scratch on the face of eternity. It is so minor. We have a living hope that's dominated by a future that overshadows our lives now. And it drives our ambitions, our hopes, and all our dreams. And that's why in verse 4 it says you get an inheritance they can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Stuff in this world, that just doesn't last. It's exactly like Duncan's t-shirt or his, um, his banana fetish, you know. Uh, it all has used by that. The cars we drive, the houses we live in, the running shoes, our bodies. Stuff wears out or it gets stolen or broken or whatever but if you're born again you have an inheritance that will not spoil it will not fade, it will not perish it cannot be stolen it is secured for you in heaven and it will be revealed, verse 5 in the last time when Jesus winds up the history of our world and that will be a wonderful time. We just you know, we get together today and sing for the first time corporately in six months. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. And that will seem so bleh by comparison with when we're face to face with the living Lord Jesus. It will be so wonderful and exciting to be in his presence. And it's that certain hope that sustains us even during the difficult times. Verse 6, now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all sorts of trials. A little while. What's he talking about there? Maybe a a bad week, a bad day, a bad month, a bad year? No, no, he's talking about the period until the last time. That's referred to in verse verse 5. He's talking about the, the little while that is 70 or 80 years in this world. That's the little while that he's referring to as a follower of Jesus it's short by comparison with the eternity that is promised and what are the trials that he's got on view helpful thing is when you go through the letter he actually tells you what they are he gives examples and chapter 2 verse 12 it talks about those who accuse you of doing wrong and speak of you as evil or in verse 19 it talks about when you suffer unjustly or in chapter 3 verse 9 when you're insulted and mocked because you're a follower of Jesus. Or in chapter 3, verse 13, when you suffer for doing what is right. Or chapter 4, verse 4, when you're abused because you don't join in unbelievers' while living. Or in chapter 4, verse 14, when you're insulted because you identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. It actually all sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Pretty normal. It is for followers of Jesus. Then in chapter 1 verse 7 it says this, These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus is revealed. Now, let me be really clear It's not saying we should all be masochists. You know, I just love suffering, don't you? You know, like it's not saying that. That's not the picture being presented. But if you are born again, if you're a believer, then God is refining you. He's at work in us so that our trust in Jesus is growing. So we are being shaped for an eternity with God the eternity that God has promised to us. And that clarity is to dominate our hearts right now. And when you know what God is doing, verse 9, it fills us with an inexpressible and glorious joy, even in the trials. Horatio uh, Spafford was an American lawyer in the 1800s. He invested in real estate uh, but his investments were absolutely decimated by the Great Fire in Chicago in 1871. Uh, Two years later he sent his wife and his four daughters on a trip back to the UK to visit family and while they were travelling on the ship back to, across the Atlantic to the UK, on the 22nd of November 1873 their ship collided with another ship, and sank. Uh, Spafford's wife telegraphed her husband a short message. Saved alone. All four daughters had perished when the boat sank. Shortly afterwards, uh, Horatio Spafford set off on that same journey by boat across the Atlantic to join his wife, who was then in the UK. And as he was crossing... Uh, in that boat voyage, he wrote a hymn. A hymn that will be really well known to most of you. It is well with my soul. It's said that he actually penned the lines for that at the location where the um, collision of the two boats occurred and his daughters died. The first verse says this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Friends, if if I asked you what's been the most significant events or the most significant events and influences on your life, what would you say? Would you tell me about the taxi ride to the airport? Earthbound stuff, you know, your career, your family, your achievements, the smart investments you've made that will endure beyond the COVID period that we find ourselves in. Friends, the big good things. way too flimsy to build your life on would you say this praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for them. And God's people say, Hallelujah. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful grace you've shown us in your Son. Father, we pray that we'll be people who celebrate your kindness to us and stand firm in the riches of what you've done to secure us for all eternity. And Father, we pray as we've been exhorted to uh, really all morning and by Alison's words, uh, Father, help us uh, to live for the praise of your glory shaped by these truths profoundly mindful of how you've called us for your purposes, for your glory, and for your honor. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.